0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Going for Two, the official podcast of the Extra Points newsletter. I am your intrepid host, Matt Brown. I am the publisher of said newsletter, which you can find in its beautiful new shiny home at ExtraPointsMB.com. I am joined today, as always, by my co-host, Brian Fisher, on another beautiful day here. Brian, it looks like the off-season content gods have blessed us.
1: They absolutely have. And it's fascinating because I feel like it's supposed to be slowing down the, the news and everything that's happening. But uh, really, the, this last week of April here, everything is is picking up. We got the NFL draft around the corner, the, the developments across the pond that we kind of kind of touched on last week uh, with regards to that Super League that are still having some fallout there. We got media rights negotiations going on. It, it, it's busy and it really kind of lends into the topic that we're going to discuss today, which is college football playoff expansion,
0: which is normally something that we would dig into when, it's June or when it's July and there's nothing else really going on. And so we fire up a couple of potential proposals about expansion and maybe we talk about some Mount Morris or something. And you and I, we've both been in the content minds for a long time, but we're talking about this now, not just because we're waiting for some foilists to come back and we, we don't have anything else to talk about, but because there's been an honest to goodness press release and reading between the lines of said press release, I think we would both agree that, um, it, it would be reasonable to think that expansion is going to come on some level sooner uh, rather than later, rather than just uh, theoretically engaged. Right.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I asked uh, somebody, you know, a couple of weeks ago about uh, about this management uh, committee meeting and, you know, it was kind of the, the usuals there. Will, you know, it'll, we'll put out a release and it'll be pretty standard and. Uh, you know, there, there won't be much to it. But I, I think it really did turn everybody's uh, heads a little bit uh, to, to see that they had not only kind of convened a, uh, a subcommittee to look at expansion, but that they very publicly put it out there. And I think that was really what, uh, whether you're an insider in college football or whether you're just somebody following along who who wants eight or 10 teams or 16 teams or whatever it might be, the the fact that they made that announcement that, hey, we're at least considering it, uh, not only sets it kind of in stone that there will be college football expansion on the horizon, but um, really was, uh, I think, a bit bit of a bat signal to to the entire sport. And so I think that's what we're going to dive into a, a little bit deeper today.
0: Yeah, one of the things that really kind of stuck out to me from from reading this, trying to separate the kind of Bill Hancockies, but uh, anything that that you you, you is, is concrete, is that they were extremely and weirdly specific about not just what the potential op- bracket options were, but how many possibilities for change, right? Like to come out and say, we've reviewed 63 different possibilities. That's a very funny number. <laughs> that is a very funny and very specific number um, because you know if you're just looking at, you look at, okay, six, eight, 10, 12, 16, how many different permeations of those options can you possibly get to get to 63? Now, I- I'm sure that some of those are campus sites and some of those are neutral sites and some of those have a buy here. There's There's ways to do it. But it's not, we considered four or eight or 12 options. We can, we considered 63, which is, is, uh, you know, not quite 64. It's not quite any other, you know, funny number, but clearly, uh, there's a whole lot of PDFs sitting on somebody's computer right now and a, and a whole lot of garbage in the garbage can, um, whiteboarding a couple of these ideas. So that's not something that you mentioned just idly out of hand. The, the 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 people on this board are are not in the message board speculation business, as I understand it. No,
1: absolutely not. And I think it is important to keep in mind is that the people in college athletics and especially the people attached to this project in terms of the college football playoff, they, they do not do things kind of willy nilly. This this was, you know, not only included in that press release to send a message, but, um, you know, I, I think it was notable to kind of show that there's been some progress because you know, I, I've been, uh, you know, usually at the national title game. They, they, they the group of managers, the, the board of managers, and the management committee uh, will have their meetings usually before the national title game, uh, and and they'll they'll talk to the press a little bit. Uh, I've been in those gaggles, and it's always well, we you know we we've discussed it a little bit, but there's nothing really on the horizon. Uh, you know, there there was not any detailed talk about it. Now we've had detailed talk about it, and so I think that is the the kind of eye opener, and I think it's important to keep in mind that. The subcommittee that was looking at all these scenarios and, and playoff expansion, uh, you know, Bob Bowlsby, the Big 12 commissioner, a league that has been left out of the playoff before, um, and uh, along with the Pac-12, has kind of been on the outside looking in in terms of securing those spots uh, a couple times. So I think that's that's notable. Number one, uh, Craig Thompson, for certainly uh, the Mountain West commissioner, who's been there uh, involved in these discussions, uh, certainly years back when Boise was on the kind of BCS buster. Uh, scope, You know, I, I think that that's notable to have him on there. And Greg Sankey, who might be the most powerful uh, name out there in, uh, among the commissioners in terms of his sway and what he. Uh, brings to the table along with Jack Swarbrick, the Notre Dame AD. So some heavy hitters, you know, really looking detailed at uh, at a lot of these proposals, and I think that uh, is, is something kind of kind of keep in the back of your mind as well. That this is not just a, a committee thrown together, and we're we're going to look at, um, you know, the, these various scenarios. We're we're studying it hard, and we've got some pretty heavy hitters that, that are looking at it as well.
0: So this, yeah, you might you might know this a little bit better than I would. The, trying to understand the why. And the, the timeline from from this happening right now, because if I'm looking at the college football playoff, you would think the conventional wisdom is if we expand this, whether that's to six, eight, some some other whatever number, however we decide to do it, it's going to increase the value of the television contract. It will renegotiate it. It'll come up with a, with a new length. You'll have new inventory. Ratings will probably go up for some of these. Everyone will get more money. Now, what's the thing that almost everybody needs right now? is more money because COVID nuked almost everyone's budget. that blew up their cash reserves. They weren't able to sell very many tickets for an entire year, their expenses went up. So you would think that there would be a very powerful short-term incentive to get this done quickly. But if I'm reading this press release correctly, they're like, look, we're studying the issue. But we've still got four more years on this deal. Nothing is imminent. Shouldn't there be an incentive to make that imminent thing happen before the next four years, given that people uh, would would like to, to shore up their finances in the short term?
1: Yeah, I mean, if if you're an athletic director, you're you're pushing for this to, to expand right away. And even going back last year, you know, you kind of heard the Larry Scott talk about, hey, let's let's go to an expanded playoff, not just for the additional revenue it would bring in this year, um, and and the issues of equality and fairness and in, in such a pandemic-ravaged season. But maybe maybe our, a lot of our schools do need this money. And um, you know, there there was some pushback to that. Obviously, we just had the regular four-teamer uh, like normal. And I think there's um, you know the, the presidents that are really Kind of in charge of this uh, do take much more of a longer term view, and so they are the ones that say, yeah. As much as we we do need that money in the short term, I, I think the the entire expansion playoff talk is really much more of a, a a red flag, I guess, to to kind of run up the flagpole to the ESPNs of the world, the Foxes of the world, uh, CBS, Turner, everybody that is involved in those media rights negotiations. Um, you know, th- there's a lot of them coming up in the next couple of years, and I think this is the way of the college football playoff committee and, and, and everybody involved in the college football playoff raising their hand and saying, hey, we're going to be at the table, too. Whether it's at the end of that 12 year deal, we, we've got five years left on on the original deal, but they are kind of saying, hey, we're we're in line to get a big increase, too. So when you're negotiating with the Premier League coming up, if you're NBC, whether you're CBS and Turner, who, who are you know on, on the, the, the rights negotiation tables for, for a number of leagues, the NBA is out there, there. There are a lot of things coming up in the next five to ten years, and the college football playoff, I think the, the the reason they kind of put this release out there was saying, hey, don't forget about us, because we're coming to market in a couple of years as well. Probably going to start that negotiation period in terms of, uh, this is what it's going to look like, this is how many games. That's probably going to happen in the next two to three years. So I think this was, it was a very strategic move, uh, ultimately, to put this this out there, because the, the college football playoff and, and those involved, as much as they would like it to happen right away, they also know that uh, this is going to take 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 a few years to kind of get in place. And they want to make sure that whether it's ESPN, whether it's Fox, whether it's a new partner out there. We already heard it talked about Amazon last week. They want to make sure everybody is aware of what's coming down the pipe. And that is an expanded college football playoff.
0: You know, that's a good point to remind people that especially right now, we have a finite amount of money from the major ESPNs of the world for, for for broadcast rights. Like even like I think like literally as we're talking right now, there's news about the NHL and and uh, looks like Fox and ESPN are or are, 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 did Turner are going to pick up some of those rights. They're going to move away from NBC. ESPNs already sunk in a bunch of other money into other places, and I think it would be a massive shock if they decided to not continue to, to own the college football playoff, given that you, you wouldn't spend all this money on the SEC and this inf- supporting infrastructure to college athletics, if you didn't intend to maintain that bid, but they're also going right. There's going to be three, four other major conferences going to market then too. And then potentially over the latter end of that playoff deal, some of these G five places. And so you do have to kind of figure out if we throw all of the money in the playoff, Will there still be money left for Oregon State's rights? Will there still be money left over for Conference USA? And they're all talking about it. That, I mean, I, that, it's not to say that, that anyone's going to get screwed necessarily, but that does uh, maybe make the timing angle a little bit more complicated, um, given how important those individual rights are for all the teams that are never, ever going to make even a 16-team playoff.
1: Well, I, I almost think this announcement kind of enhances those rights you know we, we've talked about you know the, the Pac-12 and how really the, the air kind of gets sucked out of their season once one of their big teams loses a game and how they are kind of on the outside of the, looking in in terms of that playoff discussion well now if you're guaranteed a spot in some sort of expanded field or you have a team that's maybe chasing a, a buy if they incorporate that in, in, in the new structure um, there's going to be a lot more fans interested out of the Pac-12 in, in this product and so whether you're ESPN or whether you're Fox or, you know, somebody else out there, maybe that makes those regular season games mean a lot more. And that means more eyeballs and more attention and potentially more money. And with the Big Ten coming in, coming up, uh, the the uh, Big 12, the Pac-12, maybe this is also a way where they can also increase their rights, uh, not just beyond uh, what is the kind of current structure of, of everything. But, uh, you know, you say, look, in, in addition to, uh, you know, the, the normal interest increases that we're we're going to get by just kind of going to market at this time. Look, our rights are going to be a lot more valuable because it's going to feed into this college football playoff ecosystem where a lot more teams are interested. A lot more teams are in the running. And yeah, you know, it's going to be, uh, you know, if you're an Arizona fan and you you have a a nine and three, 10 and two type of season, and you're kind of still in the discussion of the playoff game, um, those games are going to mean a lot more late in the season in November than they do currently right now. And I think that's one way where uh, in, in addition to increasing Increasing the the rights for this this playoff. Um, this is also a way for some of the commissioners to kind of drive a, a little bit more value. I think in terms of what's coming up with their own negotiations.
0: If you are the Pac-12, I think that is unquestionably true, and it's a major reason why one of the the voices pushing for that expansion even before this announcement uh, was Larry Scott. We could talk about whether he was doing a good enough job or or being as as forceful there. And, and I couldn't agree more. Uh, one of the criticisms that you're going to hear and read the most, I think, over the next couple of months as people unpack these various proposals is that this one this, this diminishes the value of the regular season. Well, you and I and God and the, you know, Dave Brown who runs Gridiron and everybody else knows the most of the regular season games don't matter at all right now anyway. A big part of that is, is is you're right. Like, If you're a casual fan, you might not have watched a Pac-12 game in like two years because those teams have simply not been nationally relevant. And by September 18th, you can you, you, in some years you can write off you know a third of the country. Um, if you're a G5 team, you can write off those games basically immediately uh, by the expanding field. You are then increasing the number of, of highly relevant games for more teams and potentially uh, making them more attractive for for television packages. Uh, I, I think that would also be true for fans for every Nebraska, or not Nebraska, like they'd be playing on the relevant games. Like for every Notre Dame Clemson game, like we saw last year, which in the end didn't really matter all that much for the playoff. And while that game may face some diminished attention, I could think of three or four other games that would that would likely see more. Um, so, I mean, I, I think I think that's a good point. I'm, I'm just curious here, from just from your perspective as a as a fan or as someone who enjoys this product, do you have a number that you would prefer to see? Um, does it eight, is it 12, is it 128? what 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 do you think not 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 what the committee or these managers or the whatever's will actually end up doing what would you like to see if somebody gave you the marker and the whiteboard well
1: 128 i think that was mike leach's proposal so I, I'm, I'm gonna push that to a side but uh yeah, I, yeah. I think,
0: <laughs> suck it old dominion <laughs> you yeah missed i missed mean, the 128 fields <laughs> listen before
1: we we really kind of got down the road with eight I, I always thought six was a great number because it did incentivize those top teams to kind of get the buy and get that extra rest and and, and be prepared you would Obviously, if you're one of those lower seeds, you have to go through another game, another round. And so that makes it uh, even more important that you get one of those top teams to really incentivize winning during the regular season. So uh, I, I do like six. Um, yeah, I, I think eight is obviously the number everybody's going to land on. I think ultimately, when you talk with athletic directors or, or even college presidents on down, that kind of is where everybody is kind of looking at. Could it be 16? Could it go beyond that? Sure. But I think from ultimately, from a games perspective, eight makes a lot of sense. you got the the power five everybody gets an auto bid you got you have room there for the group of five you have uh, others that uh, maybe they 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 lose the lo- wrong game and they don't end up winning their division so they're not playing for a title um you know they can still get in there and, and get into that tournament what i always think is going to be interesting is with this playoff structure bill hancock uh whatever committee chairman is, is speaking on on espn on on the tuesday shows everybody talks about this being the four best teams i am very curious to see with this discussion, whether that conversation is going to change a little bit whether it's going to be for the four most deserving teams or the eight most deserving teams, whether it's going to be, um, you know, we, we want auto bits or is it just going to be the best eight teams in the country? Because I think if, if you're one of these group of five leagues, you're absolutely pushing back against the notion that it's just going to be uh, the eight best teams in the country. As much as you want to really determine a national college football champion on the field uh, at the same time, you want some access to this tournament. And I think it would be good, better for the sport. If uh, you know kind of getting back to what we were talking about earlier, the interest in uh, other parts of the country if if you can be not only win your your conference and uh, to, to get into things but um you know win those big time games to, to get into that discussion i think that's going to be huge i think it's it's going to be interesting I, I think eight teams is is where we're headed it's it makes a lot of sense uh, i think that's ultimately going to be a good product on the field but i think it's going to be interesting to see also what is the discussion like is it going to be the eight best teams or are we going to start to talk about uh you know the, the the power five getting those auto bids and then where do we kind of go from here
0: you know, it, it's funny you mentioned that because I have spent a lot of the last two weeks reading a bunch of history books on the very early NCAA basketball tournaments. You know, part of that is because I've, I've been covering college football for a long time. I've written about college football history. I feel like I know the broad strokes of the history of that sport but I didn't really grow up in a college basketball market or family. And that wasn't culturally relevant to me. So I didn't learn about a lot of things that were happening in the thirties and forties until, until now. And this debate over access, as I understand it all the way up until like the mid fifties was a major sticking point for smaller schools, particularly HBCUs. Because prior to integration, the NCAA basically told them, well, you're not going to get good enough to get in the tournament unless you play ACC teams to which they like legally were not allowed to play, um, and then so the really great HBCUs were not were not in the tournament. And then when they asked for special access, they they were rebuffed. And it got to the point that a lot of schools simply just left the NCAA and went to participate in NAIA events. And th- this was a a major organizational sticking point that could have uh, really destabilized the entire you know membership of the organization until they finally allowed auto bits. I'm not necessarily saying that that's happening here but if but if we had a world with this expanded and there wasn't some kind of dedicated access for a G5 team at that point you have to wonder is it worth the 2 million dollars and the prestige of being associated with some of these bigger brands when it's very clear that you're not going to have access. It would it would really shock me if if there wasn't some kind of automatic mechanism to diffuse some some of those criticisms, which are not just from the microscos and from the jilted athletic directors of the world, but potentially from lawmakers. Um, you know, this was something that uh, oh. And Orrin Hatch used to complain about this back when he was a senator in Utah, when, you, and the, when the Utes and the Cougars were, were both really good and before the, the, either of them were, were in were in power conversations. And you have people in Idaho who, who have raised these concerns before. I I mean, for me, as a human, as a fan, I think eight's great. Um, I've seen a couple of proposals for 12, which gets you that same buy situation. And I think I would enjoy that as well. Um, more than that would probably become a little bit too logistically onerous, or, But I, I, I would suspect if we start going down the road where we go to eight or, or less than eight and there's not a dedicated access point for a G5 team, then you have to start looking at some other alternatives because if it's not going to happen now, when's it ever going to happen?
1: You're absolutely right. And I think it's also, you know, look, look the FCS playoffs are going on right now. So I think there's, you know, there's a big difference between the, the two levels, but you do feel like there's there's definitely more of a chance for some of those lower seated teams to win the FCS playoffs. I don't necessarily think that's the case in, in college football. I've, I've gone through the the mock selection committee and done all those exercises. And, and when you go back through the years, there's really only a handful of teams that you can say that those are true, legitimate national title contenders. But at the same time, you know, I think from a access perspective, uh, certainly from a fairness perspective, uh, to be able to give those teams a chance uh, is going to be be huge. And maybe there are upsets that happen uh, at the same time. I also look at um, you know the, the fact of the matter is you mentioned those those threats uh, over that, that that access, whether it's politicians, whether it's schools. Um, I, I'm just going to be really interested to see how everybody start to work together on this, because I think the, the pandemic frayed a few nerves, uh, certainly with the decision to kind of come back and play, and, and this, this might be a good rebuilding exercise for everybody to kind of learn to trust each other uh, again, whether that's, you know, small school presidents um, of MAC institutions that desperately need uh, a bit of a cash, in, cash infusion uh, beyond what the current college football playoff is paying out to them, um, you know, whether that's the, the Alabamas and the Ohio States of the world that um, know that this is also an opportunity for them, much like we've kind of seen with the, the Super League last week uh, in, in Europe, uh, if, if they know that they are always going to have really a good shot at not only winning their conference, but getting into this playoff and, and the riches that come with it from not only a brand perspective, but um, from, from an on-field trophy perspective as well. I, I think it's going to be fascinating to see how every of works together and kind of coalesces into this is the right model, not just for us, but the sport as, uh, overall as well.
0: I hadn't even really considered that. The, the interpersonal relationship angle of these conversations. And you're absolutely right that a lot of those, not just conference to conference, but president to commissioner and conference central office to member institutions, a lot of those relationships were nuked over the last nine months and are only just now starting to be rebuilt. And I think that's a decent segue into a, perhaps a less discussed potential ramification for playoff expansion, right? We, it, it doesn't take a rocket scientist To be able to figure out that if you expand this playoff, that you're going to open up a lot of opportunities for, say, the Pac-12 or Ohio State, the Big Ten teams not named Ohio State um, or Big 12 teams not named Texas or Oklahoma. And and you could see some value there, but there's also potentially significant value for institutions that are unlikely to ever sniff even a 16-team playoff. Over the next decade, because if there's a lot more money coming from this television contract, well, that means that even if the percentage is still relatively low and absolute dollars, more money is going to be shared than with Conference USA and the Sunbelt and some smaller Mac schools for where every hundred thousand dollars absolutely counts. One of the things that I've been hearing. While talking to administrators affiliated with WAC schools, with ASUN schools, and with other FCS institutions that are considering a jump to the FBS level over the next decade, in order to make that calculation, what I'm hearing is we need to know about how much money is going to, could potentially be distributed from the college football playoff to us. And right now, as I understand it, nobody seems to really know. No one seems to absolutely know if a new, the new G5 conference starts up in the next uh, three years, are they entitled to a share of this money? Uh, what, what's the mechanism to to determine how how they get it? Who makes that decision? I'm hearing that that's not really clear, um, but that's a, that's a that's a pretty big um, uh, component here. If the playoff expands, and that means that uh, if the WAC decides to move up, or a portion of the WAC decides to move up, and they are eligible for a share uh, comparable to the Sun Belt, that's going to be a significant carrot. For a, a wax school to potentially make that adjustment, and if it turns out that they can't, uh, or they would get a, a secondary share, that's going to make it less likely. Like what, what, what I'm hearing now, and this jives, I think, with, with my own understanding of the accounting, is that any school right now that's saying, "By God, we will definitely be an FBS institution in the next six years," it's full crap. They're 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 saying that for recruiting, and they're saying that to look good in front of other administrators, but without knowing really. Concrete answers about what's happening with future playoff revenue distributions. Nobody can really say that for sure because you don't have the money to say, we're going to do this, you know, come $4 million check or not, you know?
1: Yeah, and I think it's important to kind of go back for maybe those who, who don't understand some of the, the machinations of, of the college football playoff itself. That $475, 500000000 million, whatever it is per year that ESPN is essentially paying the playoff, that filters on down to a whole number of, of not only schools, but but really levels and kind of the, the football pyramid, if you will. Uh, Notre Dame, they, they get a cut. The conferences, the Power Five conferences, they get a, obviously a huge share. You know, you're talking about $60-plus plus million I, I think it ultimately, at the end of the contract it'll be closer to 75 per power five conference no matter what happens with who's selected and all that they're getting that 75 million dollars that, that very similar to kind of how it was back in the day with the bcs there's also a big payout to the group of five conferences that's split um, there's even a performance component to that i'm pretty sure in terms of you know if you make the the group of five bid a number of times you get um, you know extra and so there's that there's certainly uh, bonuses if you get into the playoff if you get into a new year six game Game. Um There's travel costs associated that the college football playoff is, is paying out to these schools. So that that's kind of taken care of um, even ind- independent schools. Um, you know, there's a small sliver. It's, it's only a couple million dollars, but that that's getting distributed as, as well to some of the independent schools. And I think it even filters down to where they are, they are giving some money. I, I don't know how much, but it, it's not a lot to like even the, the FCS and, and even lower levels. It's, it's, you know, virtually nothing in the, in the grand scheme of things, but it is something. So I think, that thing could increase and so that's when you when you're talking about you know potentially another FBS league um you know number one they don't have a seat at the table right now uh you know the the board of managers which are the presidents that kind of run uh, run and, and make the big decisions with the playoff um there's there's 11 of them there's one for each uh FBS conference right now plus Notre Dame um in in terms of uh uh Father John Jenkins is, is also a member of that so uh, I think it, it's going to be interesting to see will, will they let another another member kind of join that way if, if the WAC, as you mentioned, uh, or somebody else kind of express interest? Or will they simply say, you know what, we're, we'll give you a, an increased share um, in terms of that payout, and maybe it's a couple million dollars a year. But uh, no, we're, we're, we're not including you at the table. I, I think that's still to kind of do, to be determined. And it'll be interesting to see how their kind of conference peers um, you know around the NCA kind of look at this this equation and, and what's, uh, what is going on in, in the grand scheme of things and whether they want more money to kind of filter down to that. So I think it's It's up for debate. It's uh, certainly going to be a interesting uh, question because it's not just how much are ESPN, Fox, whatever going to pay, how that money gets distributed um, in this this new expansion. uh, is going to be, I think, a a big, big source of debate, uh, especially when you talk about those group of five schools. Yeah.
0: And and, and even beyond, I want to talk about some of the other governance related components to potentially changing this playoff or or bringing in a new playoff contract. But before I do, uh, um, because we're all talking about money, let me take a step aside and quickly talk about money for us. Thanks to our sponsors, um, see that that's that's why that's why I'm a serious professional because of, because of segues like that. You're you're welcome. Proper good, proper good makes some of the tastiest and healthiest zero prep meals that you could want. They're made with very with ultra clean. And I don't mean that just hygienically. I mean, that also means that you're not having as many ingredients that uh, have 40 characters and six hyphens and no vowels in them. You're not going to find as many of those ingredients. There's not any added sugar. And they're ready to eat in just 90 seconds. I can tell you as a, as a young father with a six-year-old and a two-year-old that food that can be cooked in under five minutes has become near the base of our family food pyramid. It is, it is even, even now with our schedules being completely blown up, uh, that's critical, but proper goods, food is healthier for you than whatever kind of like mashed up chicken nugget body part, whatever's I'm buying here from, um, from Tony's and, and, and Jewel, uh, these, this is food that can be plant-based. It could be keto. It could be gluten-free. It could be dairy-free. It's, uh, it's good for you. Uh, they've got all kinds of different healthy lunches and dinners, uh, dinner options available for you. You can grab yours at eatpropergood.com. Uh, new customers, I believe get 10% off their first Order. Uh, this podcast is also, as you, you probably are aware, a product of the Extra Points newsletter, which was just relaunched. We're, we're recording this here on Monday, 26th. That's the first day of, of Extra Points' new uh, landing page here on Ghost. Um, We have the beautiful new FOIA directory. We have links to, to merch. It's going to be much easier to listen and download to this podcast. If you want to continue to support what we're doing here on this podcast and everything that's happening on Extra Points, which includes four newsletters a week, digging into all of this off the field stuff whether that's changes in name, image, and likeness legislation, whether that's explaining what the heck an eSport is, whether that's uh, you understanding the, the dueling reports about whether Hartford should drop to Division One or Division Three, and what that means for your favorite low major. That's all the stuff that is exactly in the extra points wheelhouse. Um, you can go uh, grab a paid subscription right now. Um, the ad- discount code is actually not working this week, but it's going to be restored very soon. That discount code is G-O-F-O-R-2. Get you 20% off a paid subscription. Um, Brian, you, you were alluding to this here earlier, that this is setting up for a potential big fight, not just about the raw numbers, but how the, the numbers are then distributed. And who actually gets to control this damn thing? Right now, because of this is set up through, through uh, to conference leaders, being being part of these board of managers, right? That means if you're a program like BYU, which actually has, I think, relatively significant brand power within the sport, you don't have anybody advocating for you vis-a-vis the college football playoff, which actually became kind of a big deal, I think, over the last season. If your Army... Or if you're Liberty, Liberty could be very well be a preseason top 25 team and, and could, you know, be in the conversation to win nine, 10 games and in an eight team playoff if they're competing at this level, would would be in that conversation potentially for a eight spot. There's nobody advocating for them. So I, I think it's it's worth wondering here. Yeah, are you going to change who's actually going to be in the room? Are you going to accommodate independence? Are you going to accommodate potential other leagues? I could think of I mean, close to a dozen. FCS institutions that could conceivably want to compete at the FBS level in the next decade. Um, And do you use this as an impetus to potentially split the entire operation away from the rest of the NCAA? Like the Knight Commission had proposed and you find other university presidents that say – We don't want to kick everybody out of the NCAA, but if the NCAA doesn't get any of the money from from college football and we have to still pay for the expenses and the uh, the administration and the scandal, uh, why should we? Maybe the college football playoff board of directors just ends up creating the College Football Association and puts this whole thing over there and Indianapolis gets out of the business altogether. I I don't I, I don't think that that's likely, but I don't think that the possibility of that happening is zero.
1: I, I, it, it's funny because I, I think the you look at the, the crossover between that and I, I honestly, you know, there there's some, you know, I, I don't think that, uh, you know, Greg Sankey, uh, as involved in NCAA matters as he is, is going to say this is the impetus that we need to kind of break away from a, a structure that I spent years and years and years and years involved in. And I think that's the same at the presidential level. I, I don't think this is any impetus to kind of further that breakaway as as much as the Knight Commission would, would like that separation of a uh, Football and, and the rest of church and state, I I, I don't see it happening because, uh, you know, everybody's kind of invested. I think it's more interesting to me is maybe this does fuel more discussions on the NCA side of the shop in terms of how money has been distributed on that issue. Because we, we saw it this past tournament, um, you know, with the men's and the women's, there was a lot of people bring up the fact that, you know, you get NCA units for your performance in the NCAA men's tournament, but you don't in the women's. Is that fair? Should that change? Should that be something? That the NCA is going to have to look at, and uh, you know, there, there's some crossover between some of these university leaders that are going to have to look at that, uh, along with making decisions on the college football playoffs. So maybe it's maybe it's a move towards more equality on both the football side of the shop and the NCA side of the shop. But maybe it's maybe it's also the opposite, and where we can kind of see some consolidation um, on the football side versus more uh, more of a move towards equality on the NCA side.
0: I mean, I I could conceivably see a world. But that happens even more at the G5 level, because if you're in the Mountain West, there's probably a pretty compelling argument that if any value is being derived from the Mountain West to the college football playoff or that conversation, it's almost exclusively coming from two programs or or two and a half programs and not the bottom part of that league. If you are in the American, um, well, Cincinnati and Houston and UCF has certainly added more value to the college football playoff conversation than ECU or Tulane. Um, If you are a league that does not get a whole lot of this revenue anyway, and you're trying to make sure that you don't lose any conference members, maybe you'd look at distributing that revenue uh, in a less equal fashion. I mean, this is exactly what the WCC does when they looked like they might lose Gonzaga. Well, they rearranged their schedule and they changed around their money. And now Gonzaga gets to keep more of those units because it's not like Portland is doing anything to earn them. And I don't necessarily think that the Big Ten of the SEC would go to that model in football. But I could see a world where maybe resource scarcity is a bigger issue uh, at the conference level where where maybe this, this pay for performance distribution model becomes a little bit more commonplace.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, the issue of how to distribute money from a lot of these media deals has been around for several decades now. I mean, this is a topic that comes up just about every time these deals are renegotiated. You go back to when the PAC 12 originally expanded and and went to, you know, kind of their new model under Larry Scott. Um, you know, I think it was a big deal that all television money was distributed equally, which wasn't the case beforehand. You know, there was certain issues with, you know, when, when you're getting on national TV and and all that. And, uh, you know, that was the same for a lot of the leagues. Um, still, in uh, a minor way kind of what the Big 12 has done you know they they went for the uh, overall distribution uh, being very equal but you also get to keep some of those third tier rights which obviously varies uh, in terms of the value tremendously from Texas, which is getting that $15 million a year from ESPN for the Longhorn Network and Oklahoma with their deal in Fox Sports compared to what Kansas State is getting and Oklahoma State and some of the others. You know, that that's, that's a wide disparity in one way around it. And maybe maybe that kind of model is, is something that kind of crops up again. But I think at the end of the day, these these issues of equality and fairness and, and how are we going to distribute uh, the money that is the, the lifeblood of the sport right now is, is going to be contentious. It's going to be... Um, um, something that is going to come up for debate in, in a lot of these boardrooms and while you you would hope that everybody says yeah this is a, an enterprise where we, we value fairness that we're, we're, we're pursuing a, a bigger goal at the same time you know they, they also talk to their athletic directors who know hey I, I, I still got to deal with uh, paying a coach a seven million dollars a year or paying a 15 million dollar buyout and I still have those pressures as well uh, you know I still got you know pressures from boosters I, I want to be less reliant on so that I can actually run my department it, you know, by myself with making my own decisions, and I, I think it's going to be a, a fascinating setup because uh, I've said it before on the show. This is really entering a phase where the. Overall changes in in college sports are as great as they're ever going to be. And I think you add on all that's happening on the NCAA level with what could potentially happen with the college football playoff. And it it really is going to be really almost a different look to college athletics in 2025 versus it was in 2018, 2017, wherever you want to kind of start your point.
0: It would be kind of funny. If by the time this actually ends, this deal actually ends up happening, that there's federal legislation that introduces some kind of cost controls for college athletics. And so now you get this windfall money and then the Alabamas and Ohio states, of the world are limited in how they can actually spend it. And it ends up just being a gigantic revenue transfer for the poor to the extent that the poor exist uh, in this system. Is that likely? I wouldn't bet on it, but I would also don't think that, that that possibility is zero. That's also something that some athletic directors increasingly have expressed interest in. Whereas three years ago, that would, idea would have been completely doa. Uh, I think the the to kind of put a bow on this. The, the important thing to take away here: we can sit here and as put on our fan cap and we can go back and look at the last decade and we can try to suss out whether six or eight or 12 or 16 would be best knowing that there's some logistical considerations. And the fact that we're potentially asking unpaid athletes to play regular NFL, regular season length seasons um, is, is kind of ridiculous. Um, They're going to start getting some money relatively soon, but the changes that are going to come from this aren't just for the AP top 15 level programs that are now going to get in the playoff that that weren't able to get into it before. It's going to change who moves up to FBS, who decides to stay in FCS, uh, what kind of G5 conference they're going to be in and what kind of revenue and what kind of uh, department priorities a lot of these other smaller leagues get, uh, will, will have in, in the coming decade. It, it, I, I think, Brian, that you're right. We would look at however this, this new deal ends up shaking out as being as transformational as the original playoff was and the creation of the original BCS, I think, in terms of like a, a line of demarcation in different eras in, in college athletics because how this will change conference alignment, recruiting, scheduling, uh would be very significant after after this uh, becomes solidified
1: and, and it's also coming at a time where a lot of these presidents, let's face it, they're dealing with a lot bigger issues with regards to their universities for their budgets, and especially in terms of transfers from the state and how much support they're getting from state legislature. Um, you know, higher ed itself is going through a revolution as well, kind of parallel along with this. And I think that's also important to keep in mind when you're dealing with these college presidents who say, yeah, I, as much as we, we want to share the wealth, you know, I also need to fund my athletic department and I also got to do it with less. Less money that I can give to that athletic department, whether it's through student fees or whatnot, um, because my either either my enrollment is shrinking, um, I'm having financial difficulties uh, in terms of the underlying uh, issues with my university, uh, and, and we're also entering a phase where, let's face it, uh, there's a drumbeat that continues to happen um, with regards to um, how college is going to operate in, in the United States going forward. Whether, you know, maybe you, maybe you can go to college for free. How is that going to change these state universities versus these private institutions? Um, you know, private schools are a really a backbone. Whether you're talking about the the uscs of the world certainly you know you have vanderbilt in the sec you have these private institutions who are dealing with a lot different issues than some of their public peer uh peer institutions are and so i think that's uh, another factor to keep in mind is this everybody's got um, a lot on their plate right now and i think it's going to be interesting to see how they navigate that alongside this because as much as they want to say that uh, athletics is is only a certain part of their time if you're a college president you're spending an increasing amount of it on on dealing with athletic issues, but you also have some more pressing issues because you're running a $2 billion university that needs some funding from somewhere. And it's not going to come necessarily from athletics.
0: Yeah, if, if you wanted a good example of what this looks like in real time, and I've written about it a couple of times, on extra points, and I will likely do it again this week, would be the situation at Hartford, where you have, that's not an FBS institution, it's not a, a football institution at all, but that's a private school. It's not a Vanderbilt, it's not a USC or an SMU or a super a- a academically elite institution. It is a division one school and one that's uh, facing very significant financial pressures from uh, enrollment challenges and looking at potentially dropping to division three. And then there's a big political pushback from that. And we can, we can, you know, we'll talk about the the dueling reports and what they should do. But I can tell you, you know, there's six other Hartfords out there and their, their studies just haven't been made public. There's what, what you're seeing there is true for almost every other school in the MAC. Uh It's true for a lot of other smaller private schools in the Midwest and in the South. And it all kind of trickles up because when the Hartfords start having problems, then the Central Connecticut states start having some problems. And then the Yukons start having problems and they're different problems, but they're still problems. And the problems that we're going to talk about on this podcast and on Extra Points, which you can find at www.extrapointsnb.com. Brian, where can folks find you on the Internet? I understand you're an extremely busy guy these days.
1: It is. It is draft week, so a lot of uh, a lot of draft content for for Athlon Sports, uh, both uh, online on AthlonSports.com and, and and through the magazine later uh, later in the year as we get those previews editions, especially in the college front uh, and, and the NFL front cranked out. But uh, busy, busy time. It uh, usually does not uh, it kind of sneaks up on you a little bit, but uh, we are we are pumping out a lot of content and a lot of it you can find on my Twitter page at Brian D Fisher. Um, that's usually the best way to not only find me and all of my takes on on various things from European soccer to the college football playoff expansion, but as well as the NFL draft.
0: The NFL, it, is, it does kind of hit you in a weird part of the sports calendar because if you're in college athletics, generally right after the end of the, of the men's and play basketball tournament, um, there's like just this big collective sigh of relief because, okay, recruiting is slowing down now for a little bit. I've been kind of going pedal to metal for the last six months. You can chill. But then in just a couple of weeks later, it's draft time. And you you don't really hit the the, the real summer doldrums until until after that draft, Uh, unless you're me when you don't really follow the NFL anymore because you grew up in Ohio. And uh, until like last year, those teams basically were so terrible, we just pretended they didn't exist. Uh, You can continue to find this podcast wherever you find podcasts, whether that's Apple or Spotify or Amazon. Uh, You can now also play these podcasts a little bit easier right there in the browser on ExtraPointsMB.com. You can just click that little arrow button at the top of the post. You can play the whole thing right there. That'd be lovely. If you do enjoy the show, um, please share it with your friends, share it with your internet friends, share it on twitter.com, share it by clicking the five star or the four star button and writing nice things in the review box. That helps more people find it, which helps bring more people to Extra Points, which brings more money in for all of us, which keeps this entire thing operating. We have some really, I think, unique guests scheduled for the next couple of weeks and some really kind of off the beaten path podcast episodes that I'm excited to share with you. Uh, We'll get into that soon. In the meantime, I'm Matt. That's Brian. Thanks for listening. We'll catch up with you next week.